Alright, will the kids be dismissed to the uh, kids' playroom? We all stand and rise. That was a good song. Great are you, Lord. That's actually my favorite song. And uh, I was kind of curious because I saw um, Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. I thought that was really cool. So I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 20 through 26. Um, I'm re- reading the New King James Version. So it says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No matter rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. That's, I love that. (laughs) And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable and unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God, but God composed the body having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one of another. And if one member suffers, we all suffer. Or if one member is honored, we all rejoice with it. Lord, we just uh, praise you, God, that we uh, bless this service, Lord God, that you honor the words that, that Pastor Dennis is speaking today. And we love you, God, and we just honor who you are and what you have done in our lives. And we also just want to pray for any weakness, any disease to uh, be cast out in the name of Jesus. To cast out any sickness, any horrible, horrible sickness that we just, you place your hand upon them, Lord. And you just, you just heal them and you, you bring them safely to this church next time, Lord. In your precious name, amen. <laughs> hey, uh, wow. Amen. So I love that uh, song. I don't care what the demons say. Yeah, we gotta, you guys never for, don't forget that, okay? That there's demons and we can't care what they say, okay? That, that's what the song says, right? Okay. I was understanding you then. <laughs> hey, uh, praise God. We had a beautiful day yesterday. Um, Pastor Gary and I, by the way, if you have questions about Bible school, go to Pastor Gary. Don't go to me, because I don't have any answers. Ryan probably does have answers, but don't go to him either. (laughs) Yeah, Pastor Gary, uh, he's going to be kind of in charge of the Bible school. So we're going to, it's going to be a lot of fun. But Pastor Gary and I, we drove to Virginia, Reston, Virginia yesterday. Uh, There's a couple people here in our church from Reston. So, like, we're going to go over to Reston. Like, this will be easy, an hour drive. There's four car accidents on 95, so it ended up being two hours. So we got there half an hour late. But it was amazing. We get in there, and, um, you know, there was, like, six or seven people from the area in this little tiny living room. Four different countries, I think we counted, um, having a little Bible study. And uh, it was amazing. And they asked if we can start coming every two weeks. <laughs> So I said, oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I don't know if I can do two hours of traffic every week, <laughs> every two weeks. But it was really amazing. At the same time, 
you know, as Gary was saying that there's a team here evangelizing. And, um, and then last night at 10 o'clock at night, I had a, uh, a phone call with, with some friends in China. And it was just an amazing time talking to these guys. And um, actually, we, you know, officially ordained them last night, you know. So, you know, it was really special because, you know, some of those guys uh, are there, you know, because of, you know, the team, you know. It was really, really special. <laughs> I told one of them, I was like, you know, when I picked you up at the train station, I never thought you'd be a pastor. <laughs> Especially after the first time I heard you speak. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I didn't say that. Didn't even think it. All right. So, yeah. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I mean, and we're actually like what we're talking about last night with this one guy in particular, thinking about him and what God is doing in his life and the other guy's life. It's the same thing that God is doing in our life because in one, in one way... Like, there's, God's really not doing anything new, right? Um, yet, every time we get together with God, it is so new and it is so fresh. Uh, so, in one way, like, the things that God is doing in their lives is the same thing that God is doing in our life because it's the same spirit. Yes, there's different needs and there's different desires, but God is still doing something, and in some ways, it's the same. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul speaks very clearly about something that is so important in our life, and that is the body of Christ. That is so, so important. And I just want to kind of read it a little bit again. It says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, these members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Stop right there for a minute. Isn't that amazing verse right there? I love talking about the body. And, you know, and oftentimes when we think about the church and we think about the body of Christ, we often think of like, you know, a sports team, right? And when we're putting together a sports team, we desire to get the best players together so we can have the best results. And a lot of us think of the body of Christ that way. But it's very interesting because that's not what God does. God doesn't bring together the A-team to crush everybody in the Olympics. God brings together weak people that are actually deeply in need. You know, and if you're like, you know, I mean, if you're strong today, if you're okay and you walk with God and you feel like everything's all right, then, you know, you can probably check out right now because this message isn't for you. <laughs> You know, because, but for the rest of us, you know, there is this word that we could use to define us, and that is weakness. You know, and it's amazing because that word weakness, I, I mean, I, I was looking it up, it means, um, yeah, I'm going write, to write, say this, it means without strength, means it literally and also morally that you are without strength. Isn't that interesting? Like the Apostle Paul is talking to a church and we do a little bit of research about this church and we see their life. And we see that actually morally they don't have a very high standard. And there's problems inside the church. 
This is the kind of people that Paul is talking to. And this is the kind of people that we could look at the church and we say, hey, well, well, look at this person. If this person wasn't here, then maybe the body would be stronger or the church would grow or something else might happen. But the Apostle Paul is looking at these people and saying that even though you are a believer, and yet somehow you are still struggling with sin. Like, isn't that interesting right there? Because in the gospel we hear today, we can hear it very clearly and people can tell us that if you are struggling with sin, then you are not right and there is something wrong in your life. And then you have to question your salvation. But here the Apostle Paul isn't questioning their salvation. The Apostle Paul isn't questioning their value in the body of Christ. He's actually saying the very opposite. That you are still saved. That you have a value. And even though that you are weak to us, you are so amazing. And I was thinking about this word, you know, valuable. I mean, yeah. Do anybody have, do you have like something of value in your house? You kind of treasure it? Yeah. I mean, I remember my grandparents' house getting broken into, you know, and, and a bunch of stuff was stolen, you know. And I was really upset because I was a kid. And my grandparents always had the remote control cars. You know, I never had them at home, but at my grandparents' house, they had them. And, it was so much. and I went, and their house was broken into, and guess what was gone? The remote control cars. And nobody could understand why I was upset. My grandparents were concerned about, you know, whatever safe they had and what was inside of that. I don't even know. But I was so focused on these remote control cars. And to me... These are the things that were valuable, but to them it had no value because there is something more valuable in, you know, the, the safe, in whatever room, hiding far away, so that way nobody could get to it. So what makes something valuable? I want to read this, this is interesting. It says, value maintains that objects of value is determined by the amount of labor and the costs and the resources that went into making it, Right? So uh, as, a, as a home builder, homes have value. What makes it more valuable is how much labor goes into it and how much the materials cost and the area that it lives in, that the house is in. Those things determine its, determines its value. But listen to this also. There's also a different type of value theory that suggests that an object's value is not intrinsic, but changes according to the context. It's the same thing with your house, Right? I mean, maybe two months ago, your house was worth $200,000 more than it is right now. But as the market goes down, your house is worth less. It changes within context because the house actually has no intrinsic value. So listen to this very carefully. So the Apostle Paul is saying that I am weak, that, that we seem weak and there is weakness in our life and there is something and we are without strength and there's, there are things that we would say that we struggle with. And the world would say because of that right there, we have no value. Right? I mean, we could say intrinsically I have no value because I am not producing anything of value. Right? That's what human nature would say. It, and, I mean, even biblically we could even say something very similar. That in our, in our nature, because of the sin nature... In one sense, there is nothing of value. I mean, the Bible even talks about producing dead works. 
That means doing good things that don't have any value. Isn't that interesting? I mean, these are all things, and the Bible is saying, well, just because you are doing, just because you're doing good things, just because you're an awesome person, doesn't mean that intrinsically you have value. What gives you value, and this is like, and I love this definition, this is like, you know, for economics and stuff, that's where this definition comes from. It's not psychology or the Bible. But in one sense, it applies to us. What gives it value is the amount of labor and the cost of resources that go into making it. Okay? Now keep that in your mind as we're talking about this. Because in our lives and in our weakness, we could say we are of little value very simply because there is nothing, there is not like good resources going into it, right? I mean, there, there's not a lot of value there. You know, I go up to him, we're going to pick on, on Peter here, and we can say, you know, hey, Peter, you're like, you know, you're at church, this is amazing, but you got this problem, this problem, this problem, and this problem in your life, Peter. You know, so what kind of resources are going into your life to make it better? Well, there aren't any. The resources that are going into his life are actually making his life worse because it's sin and more sin and more sin and more sin. And actually, instead of becoming more valuable, we could say that there is weakness in his life. But, you know, don't get caught up there because don't worry, this, this ends a little different. You know, the Apostle Paul is saying that weaker that we are weaker than the rest. There are some members in the church that are weaker than the rest. They seem less able to bear and they fatigue and to encounter difficulties, which more they are more easily injured and they are more easily become affected with disease. That's what Paul is saying. That these people that are weak, they they, in the middle of the demons saying something, they fall very quickly. In the middle of spiritual warfare, they are defeated quickly. In the midst of something that is difficult, in the midst of a trial, they, they give in. You know, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about, these kind of people. You know, in Mark chapter 14, and this is amazing. You know, I, we were talking a little bit about this. I, I forget when and where, actually, but let's turn in our Bible to Mark because here's a beautiful picture of weakness. And I really love this word of weakness. And if you don't, you need to learn to love it. And we're going to see why. Mark chapter 14. Now remember, before this happens, and we talked about this not too long ago, that uh, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. So then in John 14, um, verse 37, sorry. It says, and he came and he found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? <laughs> How many of you guys have been in the presence of God and fallen asleep? Yeah, I mean, fallen asleep at church. You know, I say if you're going to fall asleep anywhere, church is a good place. Because at least you're like receiving the message subconsciously. <laughs> or, you know, I'm not offended because that means the presence of God is here and you're relaxed. You know, so it's good, right? Yeah. You know, he says, Simon, are you, are you sleeping? Could you not watch for one hour? This is Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and God is doing something amazing. 
Could you not watch for one hour? Verse 38 says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Now listen to this. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Doesn't that describe Peter's character, period? As you do a character sketch of who he is, you see over and over and over again that yes, he has that, you know, that gusto. He has that little spit and vinegar. I'm going to go to the cross for you, Jesus. And I'm going to do this for you. I'm never going to leave or forsake you. And then what happens to Peter? Yes, he is willing, but we see that in his flesh. And he's not talking about like that sinful nature. Like that's not what that verse, that word flesh here means. We know that in our sinful nature we're weak because it's a sinful nature. But here he's just very simply talking about your physical nature. Like your physical body even can impede your spiritual growth because your physical body is just weak. I mean, try to read the Bible and you fall asleep on your Bible. (laughs) Why? Is it because you're not willing? No, it's because you're very simply weak. You can't do something because you don't have the strength. And that is who Peter is. And Peter expresses that over and over three times. He denies Jesus as being the Lord. And we read in John chapter 21 that he is so condemned and he is so guilty and he is so weak that he takes the disciples fishing. And this is after Jesus reveals himself resurrected two times. So it's not like he's like, oh, Jesus really isn't risen. I'm going to ignore those rumors and I'm going to go fishing. Peter has seen Jesus twice already. And yet he still goes fishing. Why? There's a lot of reasons we could say, but one very simple word describes it, that the apostle, that the apostle Peter, he was weak. Peter was weak. But then Paul puts in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he puts this other word together with this word weakness. They seem weak. But he adds another word there. He says, but they are necessary. <laughs> uh, no, Lord, they're not. You know, I could do without this person, this person, this person. You know, um, Nick's dad, you know, Pastor Mike, when we're like getting ready to go to China. And he goes, you know, we're getting ready to go to China. And I had in my mind who I wanted on my team. You know, and this was at our team meeting. And he says, God didn't give me anybody that I wanted. <laughs> I'm like looking at Pastor Mike. I'm like, thanks a lot. You know, actually, I probably in hindsight would agree with him because I probably caused him a lot of trouble. <laughs> I think I was what, like 20? Oh, I wish my wife was in here. Uh, 23 or something, 24, you know, just very immature. <laughs> you know, and it's like he says, God didn't give me what I wanted. You know, and he says, God, that's what God does. And the thing is, is that sometimes we look and we look at the body and we see, well, this person is weak. There is this problem. There is this problem. And there is this problem. So I have failed. You look at the Apostle Paul and you look at his churches and you become very critical of them. And you could see failure after failure after failure after failure because of man's weakness. 
Now, this is interesting because man's weakness doesn't reflect the weakness of God and it doesn't reflect the weakness of his word. But we're going to see here in a few minutes that it's the exact opposite, that our weakness reflects the, the, the strength of God. But Paul here says, very important, he says that it is necessary. Now that word necessary is very interesting because remember we talked about value. Value is, that, is something that has good qualities that is useful to me. Okay? Something that is good and that is useful to me. My phone... It is good and it is useful for me. It is a tool. My car, it is valuable to me because it is good and it's useful for me. It helps me get around and get to my job. You know, these different things, they are valuable to me because they are good and they are useful. Listen to this word, necessary. Necessary means that you are needed because you are useful. Isn't that interesting? I mean, Peter, you're telling me that Peter, even though all this mess is going on in his life, this is figurative, okay? That's why I can pick on him, because his life isn't a mess. I mean, maybe a little bit, but you know? <laughs> you know, he, yeah, he's doing okay, okay? But, you know, you're telling me that, that this guy here and the mess that he is in is valuable to me and my church? You're telling me this person and the mess that he is in is valuable, is not only valuable, but be, is necessary to the body of Christ. And he's necessary because he is useful? I mean, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22. He, that word necessary means that you are needed because you are useful. Don't ever let the demons say to you, that you are not useful in this church. Amen. And if you leave this church, it's okay. Find another church. But don't let anybody anywhere you ever go tell you that you are a troublemaker, that you are not needed, that you are not useful, that you don't belong here. Go find another church. Because that is not what the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul spent 13 months in Corinth. And the church was a mess. And he preached Every single day. And you would think that after hearing the word of God every single day, that his church would be filled with a bunch of angels and saints. And you know what? They, they were, actually. Because that's how he opens up his, God, his, his epistle. He says, to the saints in Corinth. But in their experience, the Apostle Paul is dealing with, I believe, like 11 different issues. Incest. You know, uh, you know, you know. Suing one another, like all these different serious issues in church. But he calls them saints and he says that you are necessary. Now listen to this. I, I read this this morning. He says, a man can live. A, the man, a man can live though the parts and members of his body which are more strong are, were removed. Okay, so think about your strong parts of your body, your arm. Could you live without an arm? Could you live without two arms? Could you live without a leg? Could you live without all your limbs? Yes, these are things that you could live with. We look at the body of Christ, and you know what? Some people here, I mean, you are amazing, and you are, you know, an arm. <laughs> you are strong, and you have great abilities. But this quote continues, says, But if those parts which are more feeble 
A man can live if his arm or his leg are amputated, but if his brain, his lungs, or his heart be removed, he cannot live. The church can better spare, now this is, this is how he finishes the quote, this is amazing. The church can better spare many a man, even in ministry, who is learned and eloquent and popular. You know, all this stuff that's going on in the in pop church, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in, in, in the church culture today. And you know what? A lot of these men are amazing, but they are arms. They are legs. They are strong. And they are learned. They are eloquent. And they are popular. And they are valuable in the body. I'm not saying that. But do you know what? This quote here is saying that the church can better spare many men in the ministry who are learned, eloquent, and popular but we cannot spare the obscure and humble Christian. This quote is, being, is saying that in our churches today, we could do without all the popularity. In our churches today, we could do without all the eloquence. In our churches today, we could do without all the, the brains. But the thing that we cannot do without is the humble believer that is sitting down in their church and they are praying constantly. And like, oh, well, they are weak. They miss this week, they do that, they have this sin in their life, they have that. Yes, they are weak, they are weak, they are weak. But the church cannot do without them. They are so important because they are the life source of the church. So Paul says, the weak are necessary. Let's turn backwards to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be flipping around a lot in, in Corinthians. To, not too much longer because don't want you guys to fall asleep. <laughs> you can go to bed after church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26 through 28 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, and not many mobile, noble are called. Right there. That quote that we just read is quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. We could do without the wisdom. We could do without the mighty. And we could do without the noble. But God has chosen. That is an amazing, an amazing, an amazing, an amazing word. And I don't want to get into, you know, pre, you know predestination or any of that stuff. But think about this. That God has chosen you for himself. That's what that means. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Again, God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things that are despised, God has chosen the things which are not to bring to the things that are. God says it three times here. God has chosen. God has chosen. God has chosen. You know, Paul puts those words there deliberately to show the heart of God that he has absolutely done something and that is for himself. He has chosen us for himself. Oh, wait a minute, God. I mean, you are God. You could choose Anything you want. 
And actually, if I am chosen by you, God, you can make me into anything you want, right? Yet why am I like this? Why is there unbelief in my heart? Why is there sin in my life? Why am I inconsistent? Why am I incoherent? You know, why do I live the way that I live? God, if, I, if you really love me, if you really want me, if I am chosen and I am on your team, why don't you make me into something greater? Because if I am greater, I can do so much good for you. But that's not what it says there, is it? Actually, he uses some harsh words to describe us. We're, we're learning some good names for ourselves. We are weak. You know, that word foolish means you're a bunch of blockheads. You know, <laughs> you're idiots. You're actually, I think the, the Greek word actually might be connected with the word moron. <laughs> you know, and this is what Paul is using to describe who God has chosen. And we're standing here and we're saved and we're called by God. And you know what? I'm not ashamed to say that I am weak. And you know what? I do some really dumb stuff. Really moronic. I say things that I should never say. I do things that I wish I never did. I'm not ashamed to say that I have done something wrong. But yet God absolutely and deliberately chose me. I love that word, God has chosen. Because that word has, it just, it's like a punch, you know? It is, it is something that can't be changed. It is something that is beyond discussion. You know, like after church, we always discuss where we're going to go eat. And it's always a discussion. And I, it's like, I don't know where, you know. <laughs> and then we end up in five different spots. or we end up at a place we don't like eating lettuce and chickpeas. <laughs> you know, it is not like that kind of a discussion. It's not that kind of choosing. It is something that is so obvious that everybody has to agree. God has done something. Now let's go back to Corinthians chapter 12. This is, we all know these verses. But think about it in light today of our weakness. Think it in light of our foolishness. Think about it in light of the fact that we really don't have any value, yet we have value. Think about it in this light. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And he said to me, this is after Paul has asked for his weakness to be removed. <laughs> My grace is sufficient for you. Stop right there. You know, all the self-changing we try to do. You know what that's saying? I mean, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing that we should be better people. I mean, of course, you know. Of course, stop sinning, okay? <laughs> but listen, the verse says, my grace is sufficient for you. If we focus so much on self-reformation, we are saying to God that his grace is insufficient. And the Apostle Paul went through this process and he said, you know, I did all, this is what my life was. 
and I have been converted, and thank you, Lord. And now I also have this weakness, and nobody really knows what he's asking God to remove. We don't, we don't really know. There are speculations. We don't know. But the answer that God gave him wasn't wait. It wasn't, um, you know, yes, but it was no. I am not going to remove it because my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your uselessness. <laughs> That's what it says, in your weakness. My strength, my usefulness, my ability, what I can do is revealed through your uselessness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. See, we are so busy trying to become better Christians. We are so busy trying to become more valuable in the kingdom of God. We are so busy trying to become more necessary in the church. But the thing is, is no matter what happens in our life, we stand in a position that says that you are valuable. You are necessary. So stop trying to reform your flesh and let my grace be real in your life and reveal my strengths. And when I have that revelation, I am finally able to glory in my infirmities. Yes, I am not a good preacher. You know, Paul is saying, some say that he had a squeaky voice or something. He wasn't pleasant to listen to. Yes, I'm not a good preacher. But more so, through my bad preaching, the glory of God is revealed. Through my weakness, the glory of God is revealed. You know what? We're not a big church, and I hope we're never that big. We're not popular, I hope we're never that popular. We're not eloquent, I hope we're never eloquent. Because if we're ever that way, we could be cut off and God could never do without us. But do you know what we are? We are a small little church. And we are a praying church. We are one that looks at our infirmities and we cry out to God like the publican. And we say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, but save me. Let your grace be sufficient in my life and be revealed in my weakness. Now look at verse 10 here. It says, therefore, I take pleasure. <laughs> I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches. I take pleasure in my needs. I take pleasure in my persecutions. I take pleasure in my distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. Look at that transformation in the Apostle Paul's life. Lord, remove, 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 remove. Make me better, make me better, make me greater. If I was only like a, a Christian superstar, then, you know, I could do so many great things for the church. And God says, no. <laughs> nope, not going to happen. Because when I am weak, I'm actually strong because of the power of God working in my life. So let's go back to the idea, what makes something valuable? Well, we said that an object's value is determined by the amount of labor and the cost of resources that went into putting it, uh, into making it. So we understand that in my weakness, inside my blockheadedness, inside my moronic phrases, in my, the way that I act and the things that I do, I have no value. 
But let me ask you a question. What was the cost for me? It was Christ on the cross. What kind of value does that have? See, that has intrinsic value. I don't. (laughs) The work of Christ has intrinsic value. I don't. What was the cost that has been spent for me in my life? And you want, here's another question. What are the resources that has been spent in my life? God didn't only send his son to die on the cross and all those resources are being put into your life. That's not the only cost that has been entered into your life. There has been so much more. It is the the seed that is sown and that is watered. The seed that is sown and that is watered. The seed that is sowed and the continually watering, the watering, the watering of God's word. How many people in our lives has invested in us? Right? They gave us a good word. They sat down and they cried with us. They, They spoke life into us. They did this for us. They've done that for us. You know, there is so much resources that has been spent into each and every one of our lives. So even though that you are weak, what makes you valuable is, number one, the resources that the body of Christ and that Christ has spent in your life. And number two, the very fact that Christ said, no matter how weak they are, I'm going to die for them. So therefore, I am valuable. Therefore, in the body of Christ, I can find a place where I no longer feel that I am separated. I'm no longer apart. I can find a place where I actually belong. And you know what? And, and Peter read, it says that we could have this. And it, therefore, now we have no schisms, right? There's no longer any diversity. Do you know why? Because there is no longer this comparing going on. Hey, look at this arm, you know, he's so muscular and strong. Yeah, in a moment, in a warfare, he could get cut off and be gone. Yet we're still going to be here. But here's this weak person over here. And they struggle and they struggle, yet they find themselves praying often. See, we find ourselves all on a playing field where we're all needed by God. And that we all need God, right? More importantly, we can't say one like, oh, you don't need God. No, they might have a good walk with God, but they can never loosen the slack on that relationship because the moment they loosen the slack on that relationship, they are, they, they are gone, right? It's amazing. So today, I just want to encourage you that's, you know, like this young guy, you know, I told, you know, Peter shows up at a train station, three suitcases. I throw it on my little, you know, my little uh, electric scooter. He's on the back. Suitcases are there. We're driving. And he asks all these silly questions. Same questions for a year. He asks the same questions. <laughs> and then yesterday we ordained him. And he is pastoring a church. I mean, each one of us is so important in the body of Christ. 
And you know what? I want to encourage you when you look around and you look at each other. How do you look at, at each other? Look at them at the value they have in the body of Christ. And you know what? I mean, I was thinking about this earlier today. Like, and, and sometimes I call you guys, you know. When I call you, I'm not like asking where you were on Sunday. <laughs> I want to say that right now. Because uh, in one way, I don't care. In one way, I do, obviously. But I, I, it's not about, you know, putting, you know, you know, filling these chairs. It's about this, that you are valuable and you are missed. Because you are a piece of the body that we cannot do without. So, amen. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for what you are doing here and for those that are missing today and with no condemnation at all, we, we love them. And we can say with a lot of authority that they are missed. People that have come and they have decided to go other ways, they are also missed. People that we meet on the streets and they said they would be here and they've never been here and but we can see them being a part of the body and they are missed. Lord, we thank you for putting your value on us. We thank you so much. We just praise and worship you in Jesus' name, amen.